This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. As always, I am your host, Shane Told. And this podcast is all about me talking to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band. Now, today is a very special episode for me. I get to talk to my favorite lead singer of my favorite band, Fat Mike of No Effects. And wow, you know, when I started this thing, he was definitely on the short list of kind of my dream, you know, conversations. So to make this happen was really, really, really cool. I want to thank Vanessa at Fat Records And of course, Mike, for doing it. Before we get to it, I just want to say thanks a lot again for all the support. This is episode 49, which is crazy. We've been doing this for almost a year. Uh, Wow. If this is your first time checking out the show, please go back. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are, you know, more into punk rock and stuff. We got lots of shit. I did a great episode with Thomas from Strike Anywhere, Dennis from Refused. There's a lot of great back episodes regardless of what kind of music you listen to. And that's what this show is about. It's all about talking to people from all different walks of life and getting their perspective, which, which is what I think makes this show unique. Right now, as I record this, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. My band Silverstein is on tour with Memphis May Fire and the Devil Wears Prada on the Rise Up Tour. Check it out if you want to come out. We're playing uh, all over the East Coast, the South, California. And it's kind of cool. We're playing the Agora Theater in Cleveland. And when I was 16 years old, my friend and I drove from Toronto in his car across the border to go see No Effects and High Standard, and I think the Bouncing Souls might have played that show, at the Agora. So it's really cool being back here and also, you know, working on this podcast with with Fat Mike. It's just bringing back all these memories of being obsessed with No Effects and and remembering how excited I was to be 16 years old and you know, go on this crazy road trip with my friends. And I still don't know how my parents were cool with letting me go. <laughs> I don't know, but thanks, Mom and Dad, if you're listening. That was uh, very cool of you, and it's a memory I'll never forget. Also, speaking of Cleveland, while I have you, I'm doing a solo tour for my solo project, River Oaks. It is playing Cleveland, actually. It's playing Pontiac, Michigan, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and New York City. It's at the end of December between Christmas and New Year, so please check it out, riveroaksmusic.com, for all tickets. And if you like the show, if you want to get in touch, if you have any feedback for me, please hit me up. We got a Snapchat, it's real Shane Told. We got Instagram at Lead Singer Syndrome. We've got Twitter at Lead Singer Sin S Y N. We're on Facebook, just I don't know, search for it, it'll come up. And of course, if you just want to email me, I read all my emails. It's Lead Singer Syndrome at gmail.com. Also, if you want to support the show, we have a VIP program we're working on right now. It should be out. In a couple weeks, we're still just ironing out the details. Until then, if you buy anything online, use our Amazon affiliate link. Amazon has absolutely everything. And if you buy anything on Amazon, all you got to do is go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. That takes you right to the Amazon homepage. Log in as usual. And anything you buy, we get between 4 and 6%. And it costs you absolutely nothing. So seriously, throw us a bone if you're ever buying anything on Amazon It really, really does help us keep the lights on around here. All right, enough babbling. Let's get to it. 
I got to admit, um, no matter how well I know Fat Mike, and we did Warp Tour with him in 04, 06, 09, I played poker with Mike every night pretty much, uh, you know, watched him play every day. We became good friends. Um, but it doesn't matter. When you're talking to your favorite lead singer, you're going to be nervous. And, and Fat Mike has a big personality. And it's one of those things like I know so much about Fat Mike. I know so much about no effects that I actually didn't really know what to ask. So before I talked to Mike, I decided to call my very good friend, huge no effects fan, and bandmate, Mr. Bill Hamilton of my band Silverstein. Hello. Dude. Hey, Shane. How are you, man? Good. How are you? Good, good. Um, so I'm calling you because, you know, I told you um, when we were in Japan that I'm going to uh, have Fat Mike on my podcast. Right, right. <laughs> and um, I'm having a bit of anxiety about it. You know, as you know, No Effects is like my favorite band of all time. Fat Absolutely. Mike is, is like my favorite songwriter ever. Um, and I only got 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was That's like, <laughs> yeah, and I, it's, it's happening like in a few minutes. He, he's going to call me and I'm like, ah, I don't know what to ask him. Cause like, I literally know everything about the guy, everything about right. the band. But for some reason, I'm just like drawing a blank. Like, I don't know what to ask him. I think something that I was thinking about, um, we both obviously just read that, that no effects book. Yeah. And there's a, there's a part in it though, where like he talks about, kind of the early success of the band and it was almost like there was like a shift or like a turning point where like he just got better at singing right and like um it was really like influenced by bad religion and like they started recording vocal harmonies on the albums and and like when i read that part i like really thought about you and him talking on the podcast interesting yeah i guess that's like a totally of a vocal like a lead singer thing Right, um, for sure. Know? But yeah, it's true. Like, I remember, you know, for me, like, the first uh, song I ever heard was sticking in my eye on, like, Much Music or whatever. Right. Um, and, you know, th- at that point, they were already, like, pretty singy. Totally. But then, like, I went back and listened to, like, Liberal Animation and, you know, like, those early records, and it's, like, not like that at all. You wonder if, if his, that influence and stuff made them, like, more commercially successful and how much totally. of that, you know, has to do with, I- with their eventual success. I think too, like you, you mentioned, like the kind of the songwriting and the, like I, I think there definitely is like a specific like no effects like kind of um, you know song structures and chord progressions. They use a lot of really crazy chord progressions. I know that. Yeah, I mean, I almost like sort of disagree with you because some like some of the songs like a lot of songs don't even have choruses. True. Yeah. You know? And a true. lot of the songs huh? like don't make sense traditionally in terms of songwriting but then they just yeah that's kind of what i mean like with chord with chord progressions like they just use some crazy they throw in some crazy chord and like that's what that's the hook of the song right right right. you're right yeah no they do have the that's a good i'm gonna ask him that i want to ask him about the chord and like how versed in theory he is if he like knows what that is if he where he got that from that's a good thing to ask yeah i kind of remember too like when we did warp tour together 10 years ago like talking to him and you know that at that point there was obviously the whole like 
no effects versus under oath thing. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, hated yeah. that they're Christian or whatever. But uh, I think he was like, there was a real kind of critique of like, um, you know, our genre at the time, like screamo or whatever. And, um, and I remember talking to him about specific bands and him being like, no, 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 that's the band. Like, I think he was, he was like my chemical romance. Like that's, that's a good band. Like listen to their, listen to their song structure, like listen to the progressions they're using. Like, so he could always tell like what was good, whether it was like something he liked or not, right? Yeah, I don't think it was just stylistically. Like they looked at it and was like, "Oh, what the fuck? Like, what are these clothes you're wearing? Like, yeah. Why is your why are, you know why are you dyeing your hair like that? Why are you yeah. wearing skinny jeans?" I don't think it was that at all. No, I think you're totally right that he saw some of the substance, and totally. you know it's true. Like how many times in this genre that we play, like our, our bands pretty much just going like from E to C, back totally. to E, back to C, yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. like using the yeah. same two or three chords. So I, I totally get it. But I remember being like, when we were hanging out with him, like being a little bit like, well, oh, do you like hate us too? Like, <laughs> and then he saw us play and he was like, oh no, you guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he said, I think one time he said on stage on Warped Tour, um, I think we were playing like right after them. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you guys should go watch Silverstein. They're pretty good, but they suck at poker. Yeah. <laughs> they sound like under oath, but they're not Christian. <laughs> did he say that? I think I, he did say it once. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I had Aaron from under oath on my podcast last week. Yeah. So that's going to be a funny... Um, a nice little... Yeah. Yeah, man. Cool. Anything else you think I should uh, should talk to him about or whatever? Like, those are two pretty good points. At 30 minutes, not a lot of time. I'm sure, um, I'm sure you're going to blow right through it. I know, I know, and that's the fear. Like, we're gonna get on some tangent about like S and M or like, right, which right, right. fine if that's yeah. you know what he wants to talk about. Okay, I think okay. Some something else maybe that I thought of too, and that like really jumped out for me from like the book and from like backstage passport as well, which is something that I think relates to our band. Is like you kind of get to a point in your career where like playing the same, you know, uh, you know, six week U.S. tour, you know, twice, three times a year, just kind of doesn't get boring but it just like is too much right and like that they got into doing those like backstage passport things be- just as a way to like get out there and play you know like right. hey where where like where haven't we been like let's just go there like who cares if the show gets canceled that makes it more fun you know no absolutely yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah i mean we're i don't know if we're at that point in our band like i still like we you know we got that u.s tour coming up Sure, it's only yeah. three weeks, but like I'm still pretty psyched for that. Oh, for sure, for you know? sure. But, but you're just, right. Like the, when we go to China like, yeah. for the first time, like we did, whatever it was a week ago. Like yeah. that stuff does make you know does make it a lot more it interesting. Just, and it just gives career. you the it gives you the perspective as well. When then you go back to Chicago, you're like, oh yeah, fuck, I love Chicago. You we're know? not like, like Chicago, Bill. I know we're not. But <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, hey man, thank you. Um, thanks for your um, advice, and uh, I, I, yeah, I hope I do okay. Yeah, good luck, man. So tell him I say hi. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. All right, man. And hey, go Blue Jays. Yeah, see you, man. All right, dude. See you. All right, let's give Mike a call. Hello. Hey, Mike. Hey, Shane. How's it going, dude? Oh, okay, how are you? Pretty good. It's been a long time since I talked to you. Fuck yeah. Yeah, man. So it's funny, uh, sorry about the mix-up with the time with Vanessa. When when she told me 9, I was like, 9 a.m.? Like, maybe it's the new Fat Mike that well, uh, gets up at 9 a.m. instead of staying up till 9 a.m. I actually do uh, get up at 9 a.m., but this, we had shows 
Yeah, you were in like Atlanta last night, right? Yeah, I, I'm still at my sister's. Oh, okay. So, you know, I, I don't see her very often, so we stayed up pretty late. Right on. So, yeah, like, what's going on? I, I, you know, follow you on Instagram, and I saw, like, this, you know, kind of detox stuff you were doing. And, I mean, I don't want to say I was surprised, but, like, you know, taking it back a bit. And kind of wondering, like, if that's still something you're doing or just something you needed to do for a while. Well, what happened is I just, uh, my year, it's a weird year. I was just so busy with my musical. Yeah. And working on a musical is, uh, it's incredibly time-consuming. Like when you're in rehearsals and, you know, you do eight hours of rehearsal and then you have to rewrite for eight hours. Right. So it's 16-hour days and pretty much the only way I got through that was using, you know, Coke. Yeah. And then, then, I'd, then I'd have to go on tour and then I'm partying like normal. And then we had a book tour and then we had to do an album and it's just, I don't know. And then I had a bunch of BDSM events I went to. It's just, I didn't have a break. Yeah. And somehow I got cut up and I got hooked on painkillers. Awesome. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's not like I had some big bottom. I'm just like, I've never been hooked on drugs before. I need to find a time to get off them. Yeah. Because like, so, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So I said a time, and I, it was after, and I was like, well, I can't fucking quit drugs during an album or the book tour. So <laughs> I set a date and uh, I stuck to the date and I ended up having 85 days sober, which my goal was three to six months. Yeah. And almost made it. <laughs> well, I mean, 85 days, you know, f- sounds pretty good for you. I mean, it's pretty well documented like your drug use and your drinking, like you don't hide it. And the other thing is like, you're a pretty fucking productive drug addict. And you know what I mean? Like how much shit you've done in the last year and a half. Like you took, you mentioned the musical, the book, you know, all the other shit, a new album. It's like, was it hard because you're like, well, I'm still productive. Is it hard? Was it hard to get sober for that reason? That's the thing is I'm such a functional drug user that it kind of pisses people off. And, and, and yeah, but the thing was, uh, that, but that's why I had to stop because it was, it was turning into an everyday thing and then it's not fun anymore. Right. And then it just turned into, uh, I, I have to get up and fucking take painkillers or else I'll get sick. And that's, that's just kind of gross. And, you know, I just, that I was never like that before. I used to do tours and uh, come home, and then I'd, I'd sober up for or for a couple of weeks. You know, when I got back with my family, sure, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I even did a warp tour once where it was fifty shows, and I did twenty five of them sober. Wow. Because, uh, and it's it's funny because people they don't see that part of it. They they just see like, oh, I, I haven't seen Mike around today. That's because I played the show and went to my bus and watched movies. Yeah. You know. But uh, that's also why I started playing poker on the Warped Tour because you don't need to be, you know, you need to be kind of soberish for that or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I've always been a very responsible drug user, but then it caught up with me, and now so now I'm back to drinking before shows and not, but 
not touching painkillers. I don't think I'll ever do those again. Well, that's good. I mean, was it hard for you to start playing sober again? Like, when was the last time you were completely sober going on stage? It it wasn't hard. It's just, like, I, I did a whole European tour sober. And it wasn't hard. It's just not as much fun. <laughs> and then the second European tour, halfway through that tour, I just decided that, uh, you know, I've made it this far and I'm fucking in a band that I love. And it started to feel like a job. And one day, Smelly, our drummer, said, uh, you know, we played the show in Italy in front of 5,000 people on the beach. And it's just a perfect show. And uh, we go to the bus and some other people in my band are partying and some of our crew. And so I went upstairs with Smelly and we're each watching a show on our computer. And I was just kind of bummed because I wanted to celebrate. Yeah. And he goes, dude, it's a, Mike, it's, it's a job, dude. It's our job. And I didn't like that at all. I didn't like when he said that. I'm like, this isn't my job. This is my passion. This is, this is what my life. And why shouldn't I have a good time on stage? Why should it feel like work? It shouldn't. Well, I always said, I always said the second that this band feels like a fucking job, I'm done. Like, I don't want this yeah. to feel like a job. Part of, part of being in a band, like what, you know, what we do, you've done a long time. I've done a long time now too, is that we don't have to work a job. Everything we do should be fun. Yeah. So, but I mean, I, I want to ask you about Smelly because Smelly's been sober for a long time. So he's been the guy upstairs on his laptop while everyone's been partying. Uh, was was he kind of? Did he help you out a lot going through this time? No, no, he didn't help me out that much because <laughs> he he a lot of people did like like Tim from Rancid called me. Yeah. And Travis Barker texted me the other day and said, you know, if you, if you ever need anything, if you need help. And a lot of people have reached out to me. But uh, Smelly, he didn't think it was going to be a permanent thing. And for him, you know, he's had over 20 years sober. Right. So for him, it, it was a real lifestyle change. For me, it was just like a wake-up call. Like, dude, don't fuck up. You don't want to end up like Tony Sly. You know? Yeah. Uh, you're almost 50 and you know, I was thinking about maybe uh, I was going to see how it goes after I had a clear head for three to six months. I was going to, you know, think about what my future would, would, would be. And I decided after 85 days that I'm going to just really take it back and just uh, party on occasions. Yeah. And, and, Hopefully I can do that. And so far I have been, you know, uh, staying sober at home. Yeah, and my and my wife Soma, she's been sober for five months now. We quit close to the same time, and she's taking it very seriously. Great. And uh, and I, I was trying that, but it's just I don't want to go through life sober, so I'm not going to. Yeah, I mean, how, is there any relevance to like? I know you have a daughter, and she's is she a teenager now? She's 12. She's 12, yeah. I mean, obviously she's, like, starting to learn that shit. And, you know, that's the age that people start experimenting with, you know, smoking and shit like that. And is there any significance to what you're doing in her and your relationship with her? Uh, Well, I haven't really talked to her about drugs yet. But I have a 17-year-old stepdaughter. Okay. And she's she's very anti-drug and drinking. She won't even go to parties where kids are drinking. So I don't know why she's, she's like that. But she is. So 
but you know, I made a deal with her that I won't drink around her in the house. So we don't keep alcohol in the house, but you know, if I want to have a couple beers in my room at night, I will. Right. But, uh, what, uh, but what I told her and it's what I will tell Dara is, uh, you shouldn't do drugs while you're a kid or, or while you're even in your twenties. Drugs are something that, uh, adults should be doing. And, you know, I didn't try drugs. So I was 32. And after I made, after I had a successful company and a successful band and, you know, had my college degree, that yep. is a good time to start drugs. <laughs> I mean, I understand. Yeah. No one should go through life without trying ecstasy. You know, I don't care who the fuck you are. Ecstasy is a good time. And it's not a, it's not a real, it's not an addictive drug either. So, you know. Yeah. I mean. It's like life. You're here once. You should experience life. If you have a problem with drugs and get off them, but you but you, you got to try everything. Well, hey, I mean, you've you've been through some shit, and you're still here, and you're still making relevant music. Um, let's talk about the new record, which comes out like this week. One thing I wanted to ask you: you made the record with Cameron Webb, who actually did two Silverstein records. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. Our most, he did our most successful record too. Um, how was working with him? It was great. He's a rad dude. Uh, I mean, we, we always had good experience working with Bill and Jason, but it was always very, a lot of pressure. Yeah. And, uh, like, okay, you have three weeks, and we're going to just knock out these songs. And they were more interested in getting a really, really spectacular performance. And with Cameron, you know, uh, first of all, this was the first record that I ever did. I always got sober for recording albums. And this record I was using you know, drug, coke, and booze every day. Uh, you know, starting at like noon. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's such a different album. It sounds like no effects, but it's it's very different. And it's kind of like, because I was having such a good time in the studio, I was experimenting more and trying shit out and yeah. coming up with cool ideas. And, you know, Cameron took weekends off and he had a lot of good ideas. And it was like, the recording process was spread out over six weeks instead of three weeks. We worked shorter days because I was kind of a wreck. But you know, by by eight o'clock at night, I was kind of uh, too too drunk to do anything. That's funny when when we made the record. Uh, when we made the record, Cameron said we couldn't we couldn't drink or take drugs until the sun went down. That was the rule. So we were always waiting to to look outside to see if it got dark yet. <laughs> that was the rule when we made the record. So I, I guess he didn't do yeah. that with you. That's a good rule. Yeah, well, I'm kind of hard to uh, to wrangle. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure my dom. <laughs> um, sorry, where were you? I'm sorry, I kind of kind of cut you off. So it's just so yeah, it was it was a good experience. Uh, I really like working with him, and it's neat how different how what a difference having a different. Uh, producer can can make yeah i mean absolutely and and yeah with with cameron i remember like yeah we would make these epic fucking long sessions like we did a record i think we did like 10 weeks once of just tracking and we would spend like a whole day working on like a lead guitar part and it was just fun you know like no pressure at all we had like a week left over yeah. just to like hit random percussion and shit you know so oh uh, yeah i would never do that I'm, i have no patience <laughs> that's fair that's I, you know I'm I'm not interested in performance or having the best part. Just uh, I'm interested in getting it, just having it uh, 
Yeah, I don't spend time doing anything. Well, I mean, I got to talk to you about songwriting because, I mean, you're one of my favorite songwriters ever. And what you do as a songwriter, I think, is what makes NoFX a good band and a special band. And I'm always wondered kind of how you approach writing, um, both musically and lyrically. No, I, I mean, I, I usually come up with song titles first. And, uh, you know, I'm constantly writing chord progressions and melodies. Yeah. You know, one, and, uh, you know, like one of the things that no one notices about no effects is some of our biggest songs don't have a chorus. Yeah. Like linoleum, like, no chorus. Yeah. Or Bob. And, uh, most of our songs don't have choruses. Some do, but I just don't like writing that way. I just don't, what, what I'm interested in is just writing songs that don't sound like other songs. And, you know, that's why, um, most of our verses or a lot of our verses have eight chords, not four. Yeah. And a lot of our, a lot of our courses have 16 chords or vice versa, you know. So the chord progressions we use are really incredibly complicated. And people don't even realize that because in a good song you don't think about that because you just follow the melody. So where did you but, get that idea from? Like like there's the, you know, there's the no effects chord, you know, which I don't even know what it is. It's like kind of a, I don't know. I, I don't know how into theory you are. I know some theory, but I, I don't really know if it's like a diminished, you know, whatever interval it is. But where did that come from a, a, another band or, or an idea? No, no. It's just, no, it's just, it's just trying different chords out on guitar. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that many chords. I just, I just try different things. Like, you know, like one of our chords, that we use a lot is, uh, is a uh, seventh. It's like a diminished chord. And, yeah. uh, th- but like I learned something on just recently on a new album on, the, on our song generation Z. Yeah. The last track, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it's like a 16 chord progression for the verse, but it, it hits a, a, mi- a G minor going down and a G major coming back up. And it's just weird how, uh, you're allowed to do that, I think, with one chord in a, in a key. But it's, but it doesn't work the opposite way. It only works that way. You can hit the minor going down and the major going back up. And, it, yeah, people don't don't think of music like I do. That's why I think I'm a little autistic. Yeah, no. I, in fact, I, in fact I, I'm, I'm sure I'm autistic. We're just realizing it this year. <laughs> it's only taken like 50 fucking years. Um, do you ever write songs like for other bands? Have you ever done co-writes or anything like that? Oh, yeah, uh, constantly. I mean, I I didn't put my name on on songs uh, over the years, on all, on all the songs I've helped write for other bands. I just put producer down. Right. Or I just, I didn't put anything like tons of the early Fat Records uh, albums. I had a lot to do with, but sure. I didn't think it was cool to put my name on because it made it look like I was meddling with everybody. <laughs> Whether you were or not. Yeah. Like, yeah, but I was. Yeah. Like I, I mean, even like the new Blink-182 record, I know they had a shitload of co-writers and I was wondering, you know, cause your buddies with Skiba, I kind of wondered, cause I heard like a couple songs and I was like, man, that sounds so much like no effects, like just a couple parts. And I wondered if you'd yeah, you know, that, ever done anything well, like that. Well, it's funny because we, it's, it's a long story that I can't get into, but uh, the parts on their album that sound like no effects, I didn't write those. Those <laughs> that was all them. <laughs> that, yeah, that first song kind of sounds like linoleum. Yeah, there's like a part in it 
where I mean, in Blink Zara, he's always had like some parts like that. But I don't know. I think John Feldman wrote a lot of the songs. I don't. I don't know. I, I heard. I saw like a list of songwriters, and I was. I was curious. Yeah, about if you it. see, if you look, if if you look on YouTube under Blink One Eighty Two and Real Big Fish, there's a. Uh, have you seen that? No. Check it out because it's uh, it's an exact Real Big Fish song, not just melodically, but lyrically and musically and melodically. It's the same words. That's wild. And the same message. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, check it out. It's it's incredible. It's, uh, it's and it's John Feldman for sure. It's John Feldman. He used to work with Real Big Fish, so uh, well, I'm sure me. he just lifted that part. I mean, Goldfinger and Real Big Fish must must have toured like so much together too. But you wonder, like that kind of shit, you know? Like it's like the story about Paul McCartney writing yesterday, you know? Like I don't know if you heard the story. Mm-hmm. He he wrote it, and he's like, "That's got to be another song." Like I know I've heard that before. So he played it like for everyone he knew, and was like, "Do you know this? Like, is this something? Like, did I inadvertently rip it off?" So and then you know, obviously, you know what happened with the song, but. You know, you you wonder if like that kind of thing. If John Feldman wrote the song and didn't really even realize that he was ripping it off, no, you know, no, because he worked with Real Big Fish, right? And it and it's the same lyrics too, so it had to be stuck in his head somewhere. Yeah, but you know, that's what I, I don't, I I try so hard not to do that, and that's why I write such uh, complicated progressions. Well, yeah, you know, like, eat, like eat the meek, eat the meek, the first verse. Is sixteen chords. The second verse is uh, those chords, but in different order. Yeah, that's right. And it's totally different. And people are like, "Why you do that?" I go, "Because it makes the songs interesting, and people don't know why they want to hear it more than you know, like a song uh, like Salvation by Rancid. You know, great song, but he sings the chorus like seven times. So you're going to get bored of that song seven times faster." <laughs> Yeah, I know. You know, you know. So that's why I don't like choruses. And when we do have a chorus, like stick it in my eye, it only comes in once. I mean, twice. Yeah. So you still only have a chorus twice. Yeah, I can't think of a song. I mean, I guess "Eat the Meek" is like one of the only songs that has like three choruses, and the third right. chorus is completely and different. Right, different chord progression. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's that's what I, I, I that's how I write inter- try to write interesting songs. And, and use chord progressions that haven't been used before. And I'm sure I've used, I've written chord progressions that just haven't been used. Um, like Punk Rock Elite, no way anyone's ever used that, that no. progression before. Did you ever hear, uh, we covered that song actually. And yeah, that's a fucked up, oh, that's okay. a fucked up chord progression for sure. Yeah, it's a fucking weird chord progression. It's really weird. Our new album, one of the proudest things about it for me is California Drought has a guitar rhythm that I don't think anyone's ever used before. Oh, I, I listened to the record just once through. Vanessa sent it to me the other day, but I got to check that out again. That, actually, that song I remember that kind of stuck out as a as a very strong song. Yeah, so. what's well, weird? I mean, coming up with a rhythm, a new rhythm. Now that's hard. And you know, I sat with a guitar and a practice amp, just playing different guitar rhythms and just trying to. to somehow let it organically come a progression that I've never heard before. And it took me like an hour and a half. And, but at one point and I was recording the whole thing and I go, Oh, what was that? Shit. And then I had to relearn it. It took me like 20 minutes to actually learn it. And then, then I showed it to the guys and the guys are like, fuck you, dude, what the fuck is this? And it, it turned out real cool. If you're in tech, 
You've been there before. Feeling the pain of hiring a freelancer or new employee for designer development only to find out months later that it's not a fit. And those types of mistakes aren't cheap. Instead, Mutual Mobile, a digital technology consultancy, uses the process it's developed over the past 10 years, delivering over 600 client projects to ensure your fast and beautiful mobile or web app is finished on time and within budget. Mutual Mobile has built apps for numerous companies that have been acquired, such as Eero, acquired by Amazon, FlexDrive, acquired by Lyft, and MapMyFitness, acquired by Under Armour. You get a dedicated team to help you with your tech project from start to finish, from ideation to product shipment to maintenance and everywhere in between. Mutual Mobile designs and builds beautiful mobile and web apps that increase the value of your business. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation at mutualmobile.link LSS to get started. That's M-U-T-U-A-L-M-O-B-I-L-E dot L-I-N-K slash L-S-S to get started with your free consultation today. I just got sent awesome new wireless earbuds from Raycon. I opened the box, opened up my phone, and literally in less than a minute, I was jamming out to my favorite tunes. What struck me right away was how well these fit and then how amazing they sound. Definitely more bass than my other wireless headphones. But the biggest game changer is the price. The E25 earbuds they sent me start at half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, have six hours of playtime, and really are super comfortable, whether it's music, conference calls, or binging this podcast. And there's no dangling wires or stems to distract other people if you're on a video call. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Mike Tyson, and Melissa Etheridge are just a few people obsessed with with Raycons. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not the other distractions from the room. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash LSS. That's B U Y R A Y C O N dot com slash LSS for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buy Raycon.com slash LSS. Is that ever a problem when you guys, because I mean, like one of my favorite things that you ever did was the Fuck the Kids seven inch. And yeah. from what I understand, you basically wrote those songs like in a day and showed them, you know, to the band and you played them right away is it ever hard for just guys to wrap their head around certain parts that are like you know you say you're musically autistic like you just get it and they just don't get it and that can be frustrating yeah it happens constantly <laughs> our song uh everything in moderation especially moderation yeah I, I was uh bill stevenson and jason were like dude you're not playing it right i go no it's right like no it, it's not it's off time i'm like no that's how i wrote it <laughs> It sounds perfect. <laughs> and a band, we still, we can't play it because they, they, they don't play it, right? <laughs> it just doesn't sound right to anybody. But to me, it sounds normal. Yeah, I don't know. That's funny. I love shit like that, man. Um, let's talk about the book. Uh, I read the book. It's 
awesome. Everybody listening to this needs to get the book. Um, it's gnarly, and you really, you really put yourself out there. Uh, how long did it take to put all that together with everybody? Uh, I think it was about a two-year process. Uh, each one of us had like ten to fifteen hours of interviews, and uh, wow, you know Jeff Jeff Alulis whittled down the stories that he thought worked together, and you know a lot of it got left out, but uh, and then you know he he wrote it all down, and then and then he sent us all the stories, and then we edited it. And it was a long process, but you know the most important part of the process was just you know I read Monty Cruz the Dirt and yeah. I thought shit No Effects needs to do a book like this because our story hasn't been heard. People think of us like like we're a '90s skate punk band, and it's just not the case. You know it's it's not where we came from. No, and it's not who we are. And and I, I told the guys, I'm like, we have to tell all the stories that we never wanted to tell because they're painful. But that's how we're going to make a great book. And, uh, you know, and stories that, that, you know, we didn't know about each other. And stuff that, that we, we knew, but no one ever talked about. Well, the one story about Melvin, you know, like being sexually abused as a child, like, you know, that's like your best friend and you didn't know that. Like how fucked up was that to read? Yeah, it was fucked up. Uh, and it was just hard to read too. Yeah. And well, a lot of the stuff was hard to read and, you know, Smelly's Smelly just wins it's his <laughs> book. They're so fucking good. And we, and we didn't know any of that shit because, you know, when we'd be on tour, I remember once in in Seattle, we just dropped him off on this corner with with his friend, and we said, "We'll pick you up here in three days." And he was there on time three days later, but we have no idea what he did. You know, <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. I mean, was there anything that you like you guys held back because you know you didn't want to like embarrass somebody, or was it like really important just to put it all out there like without consequences? We changed we changed a few names. Yeah. And there are there are some stories that were too hardcore to put in the book. <laughs> they were they were they were in the original draft, and it's hard to imagine Vanessa, what they could be because the book's fucking crazy. <laughs> well, Vanessa, our publicist, was like, "You can't put this in there." And there's a couple things that we took out, and you know, uh, bad shit happens sometimes, and it was it just it, <laughs> so trust me. People would not want to read these things. Right. Well, I mean, you, you compare it to The Dirt. Definitely, I see the comparison. I read The Dirt years ago. But one thing about it that strikes me is that you guys don't come off. Like, like when you read The Dirt, some of the stuff Motley Crue did, they were just fucking assholes. You know? Yeah. They, exactly. they, just, like, they were just there to be destructive and be assholes because they were rock stars. With you guys, it doesn't seem like that. You know, you were try- kind of trying to just, you know... Uh, how, how do I say this? Like have relationships with people, and you were trying, and things didn't work out the way you planned, and you did your best. Um, we were just getting by, but that you know that's part of being a punk rock is you know if you hang out at a metal show or a rock show, uh, people are not nice. People are fucking jerks, and they're entitled assholes. And in punk rock, it's just not like that. You know, the Death Stones told me they were the only band that did Warped Tour and. Uh, Ozfest, right? And they're like, 
Warped Tour is so much more fun because just everyone is in these cliques on Ozfest, and no one's supportive of each other. Everyone's just trying to outdo each other. Right. Yeah. And, and that's why punk rock is so great because it's really an extended family. And you know, when our friends' bands are playing, we go see them, and we're like, oh, like when Tim Armstrong won a, a Grammy, I was like, fuck yeah, Tim. You know, yeah, you weren't like, fucking, where's my fucking Grammy? No, it's like he's the first one of us to get one. Yeah, because because we're supportive, and you know, yeah, like we've been, uh, you know, Dollar Fex and Silverstein became friends on Warp Tour. I think it was mostly through playing poker. Mostly, but I mean, I also yeah, watched but, you guys every day because you're my favorite band. But well, that's that's why we try to do. That's why we did a different set list every day. Right. Yeah, I got to write your set list you know, one day. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. That's what. Cool. That's why punk rock. That's why we're punk rockers because that's right. Uh, we we believe in family and chosen family is important and being an asshole to get that gets you nowhere in life. Yeah, no, I agree, man. Um, I got to ask you. There's another thing you say in the book. You talk about you know the early days of the band and how you know you made a record with Brett Gurwitz and he basically was like, "Mike, you suck at singing," and they, you know try to make you sound like bad religion, putting harmonies on shit and everything. And you were very reluctant at first. And then now, I mean, that's kind of become part of your sound. I mean, obviously you don't sound exactly like bad religion, but yeah. How much of that do you think was attributed to your success? Like when you started being able to sing, people started to like your band. Well, people started like for Essendon Airlines when we got our songwriting got better. Right. But it's still there. Is that still annoying part of the band, which was my voice, because <laughs> I my pitch was so terrible, and that just got better with time. You know, the more we played, and the more I had to do harmonies, the better I got. Sure. But but the, the big difference was that he was trying to put three part harmonies on my vocal lines, which we still don't do. You know, it's I I, I just like two part harmonies because you can pick them out. And yeah. Three part, three part. It just sounds like a wall of of sound, which works for bad religion. But I didn't want that sound. There's some of that stuff yeah. in like the oohs and ahs, like you know that you guys do for sure. But maybe not yeah. right on the on the lead vocal, yeah. And yeah, a lot, just a lot less. You know, I like to put in harmonies. I like to one of my one of my uh, songwriting secrets. Not some secret. I learned from the Lillingtons, actually. Okay. The, the Lillingtons did Death by Television. It's one of my favorite albums. And they put harmonies only on the last courses. Yeah. And and the reason they did that is because they ran out of time in the studio. <laughs> Interesting. So they wanted to get a, a harmony in, but they just didn't have time. And I'm like, that's genius. And when I asked them about it, they go, no, we just ran out of time. <laughs> so... Now I'm really into that yeah. because I like to hear the melody. I want to hear what the original melody is, and then I want to hear the harmony. But yeah. if, you, if you do a harmony every time there's a chorus, you're missing out. Absolutely, man. No, that's that's something we started doing a couple albums ago, I'd say. And uh, it yeah. really is like a less is more thing, absolutely. It yeah. was all because of a mistake. <laughs> I mean, so what's next for you guys, like, I feel like no effects at this point has really fucking done everything. Like, I mean, other than maybe you guys doing like a cruise or some kind of movie, I like what else is there you guys could do at this point? Well, uh, you know, 
it's funny because we're we're doing a tour after this album. It's like a two week tour. Yeah, that's all we that's all we have planned because uh, we're going to play less shows and more selective. And we've never been a band that does a record and tours on it. We just don't do that. We tour when we feel like it. Yeah, and uh, and the thing is, my my musical home street home. Uh, we're going to be opening in New York nice. next year, so I'll be I'll be in New York a lot doing that. And uh, yeah, we're we're, we're kind of taking it easy right now, even though it's it's like the time where we really should be on the road a lot because of the book and the album. It's just not going to happen. No, but I... you know, we've never done things the way other bands do it, and I don't like I don't like doing things the normal way. I don't know why. I just no, I mean, you, you guys were very clear about, you know, traditional touring and traditional stuff just being boring, you know, which is like why where the whole backstage passport essentially came from, you know? Right. Yeah, so. and that, that was, even though there was a lot of fucking weird rough times, there was so, it was so cool. It was really fun and, and uh, we did it. Do you think you're going to, is there any other places you, you haven't been that you want to go? No, no. You've pretty much we, done it all? Uh, I don't want to go to India. And pretty <laughs> much every place that we could have gone that we wanted to, we went to. Nice. So, and, and we're not going back to those places. I mean, I'm never going back to the Philippines to play or shit like that. What was wrong? With, what, why, why is that? Well, because, well, first of all, you, you, we don't make money with all the travel expenses. Sure. And we did it. You think like, you guys uh, being so big in Japan, you'd have some like spillover into the Philippines? I'm surprised it's not lucrative, you know. Well, Philippines is pretty far from Japan. Indonesia, though, which is close to Australia, mm-hmm. we're I mean, we had ten thousand people at our last show, and we're getting offers all the time to go there. I don't want to go there because uh, it was we didn't get to see anything. It was all police escorts fly in, police escort, show back to the hotel, police escort to the airport. And actually, we, we, we got totally ripped off there. And also, oh, it's like, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable in uh, countries that are Muslim-based anymore. I'm really not, especially since I've been outspoken about all religion being bad. But uh, after what happened to Eagles, you know, I've, I've hung out with Jesse since, since then. Yeah. And hearing the story from him, how one by one, you know, if you didn't know a passage from the Quran, then you got killed. That's so fucked up. And it just happened for, you know, over 20 minutes straight, just slaughtering people one by one, begging, they were begging for their lives. And, you know, we're like, I'm a, I'm a crossdresser. I'm a pervert. We're Jewish and I'm outspoken against religion. It's like, if you if you fucking kill us, you you fucking hit the jackpot. Jesus, wow, that's, that's such a <laughs> fucked up thing to say. But yeah, I mean, I remember you know the seventy two hooker song, the first track from your last record. Like, yeah, you took it pretty far. And it's not even it's not even mean. It's just truth. <laughs> oh, man. You know, yeah. The four bomb four four bombers that they caught uh, where their bombs didn't explode, and uh, they were all sixteen year old kids. Oh, and God. they didn't do it because they hated Western culture. They did it for the 72 hookers, um, for the 72 virgins. They did it because they were fucking horny kids that wanted to get laid. 
And, you know, a lot of it is based on that. It's just the truth. That's, now, so now a lot of it's based on hatred because of all the wars we've started. And, you know, when your whole family gets killed, yeah, you turn into a fucking terrorist. But there's nothing inherently about the Muslim religion that is anti-Western culture. It's how bad, you know, the Bush administration fucked things up. Yeah. Speaking of that, what have you, I mean, um, you know, obviously the punk voter thing, it was that 2004. Um, it didn't go the way you wanted. It, 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 I haven't heard you speak about Trump at all or anything like that. I, I, just, oh, I, I have been talking a lot of shit yeah. uh, in swing states when we play. Because, you know, I'm so sick of hearing people say lesser of two evils. Because it's not the lesser of two evils. It's one total evil psychopath asshole uh, who enjoys firing people and ripping people off. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a woman who has been a public servant for uh, years and and is and is the most qualified person to ever run for president. You know, a senator Absolutely. for eight years. That's true. A secretary of state for four years. Lived in the White House for eight years, and more experience than that. She is more qualified than Obama or Bill Clinton, and they both say so. And she's a person. And when you ask someone, "Why don't you like Hillary? What, do you, what did she do you don't like?" No one has an answer except they just don't like her. Well, they people say she's will talk a liar. about people will talk about the email scandal, but people pretend they really understand what that is. Yeah, and they don't, and they don't. She hasn't done anything, and. She's changed her mind and her stance on certain policy, which is called being intelligent. <laughs> you don't, if, if you don't change your mind, it means you're an idiot. You know, that, that's the whole thing of, you know, having an, an arg, uh, conversation with someone. If you don't change your mind, then you're an idiot. You know, because that's what learning is about, is listening and changing your mind. I completely agree. I completely agree with that. So, like every time I hear something yeah. about somebody flip flopping, like you know, even when they talk about Trump supporting the Iraq War or whatever, like who gives a shit? It was how many fucking years ago? Like I don't know why if yeah, people he, are so hung up on this shit. Flip flopping is life. You know what George Bush once said at the Kyoto, at one of the Kyoto uh, meetings. He said, "I'll listen to all your arguments, but I'm not going to change my mind." Oh, how nice of you. So why are, why even listen? If you're right. too stupid to make a decision. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm clearly against Trump, but it's not lesser of two evils. There's one good candidate and one amazingly terrible candidate. Did you think about bringing, like, doing the punk voter thing again? This, this, or is, is that I just... Did, I, I didn't because I really didn't think it was going to be this close. Yeah, and especially how bad Trump keeps fucking up and what an asshole he is. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of thinking now. You can't change a Trump supporter's mind because they're clearly a racist, <laughs> sexist, uh, uneducated person because that's who's voting for him. So, yeah, looking back, I kind of regret it because all we have to do is get uh, the young voters out there to win. Yes. Because, uh, you know, young people and educated people will vote for Hillary. So, uh, but I, I still am, you know, I'm doing stuff like this. I'm spending five minutes explaining to people why it's not lesser of two evils. 
No, I think it's important for sure. And then, you know, I've always been political, but I spent two years of my life with Punk Voter working as we're doing my public duty, my, my public service, trying to help the world be a better place. And, you know, I don't want to do that. It's not what I enjoy doing. And, I, you know, so you do what you can, but the money I lost doing that and the time I spent, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. No, I get it. I totally get it. Uh, one last question. Would you ever do Warp Tour again? Uh, under the right circumstances. Yeah. Because it's been a while. would be bad religion. Bad religion would have to do it, and we'd have to get paid a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that was the deal. Us and bad religion wouldn't do it unless we were both on it. <laughs> That's awesome. True. It's true. It's just weird because we're, 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 it's weird because we're so much older. We played a radio festival uh, two days ago with Good Charlotte and the Youth, and uh, some uh, girl came up to me in her 20s, and she said, Man, good Charlotte and the U's. Those bands are so old. And I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> like that, and that's what it's about. Like good Charlotte and the U's. Those are like old school bands now. So I don't really think people would relate to us that much on the work tour. But you know, I would do it again under the right circumstances. Yeah. Well, we missed the poker game. That's for sure. We did it. Uh, we did it in thirteen and fifteen. And thirteen, Motion City soundtrack had a game. It was good, but 2015, nothing. I like to think that NoFX brought a little something to the Warp Tour, a little, uh, little anarchy, a little... Uh, I like to think that we bothered a lot of people. Absolutely. <laughs> well, my favorite fucking story, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you remember this, you probably do. One day, uh, I think like the whole thing got fucking rained out. It was probably Florida, and you know, you guys were kind of like one, you know, one of the biggest bands. I don't remember what year this was, maybe 04. And uh, so they said, okay, no effects will play like eight o'clock. So it, it got a little bit better. You guys got up there and you started playing and Lyman's there and it starts getting gnarly like the storm. And um, yeah, Lyman and says, he, he said, one more song, one more song. Right. <laughs> so you played the decline so played 18 decline. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's the fucking best. And I don't think Lyman knew, like knew that the song was that long. And like after about five minutes, he kind of like was like, "When is this gonna shit gonna end?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you know, and we're the band that doesn't get in trouble because we don't get in trouble. <laughs> we kind of we kind of get away with murder, but it's because we're not being dicks; we're just being funny. And sometimes when you're funny, uh, people's feelings get hurt because you know if there's no butt of the joke, then there's no joke. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Well, dude, thanks so much for the, taking the time, and um, yeah, the new record's awesome. I can't wait to spin it a few more times, and uh, yeah, I hope to see you around. Thanks for the interview, Shane. Good to talk to you. Yeah, you too, Mike. Take care. Later. See you. There's my conversation with the amazing Fat Mike. Uh, it was really, really awesome. I'm really, really happy with how this turned out, and thanks again, Vanessa from Fat and Mike, for, for making this happen, and definitely gave me a lot more than half an hour, so thanks a lot for that. You guys, be sure to check out the new No Effects album, First Ditch Effort. Also, you got to read the book, Hepatitis Bathtub and Other Stories. It is, I mean, I don't even care if you know anything about No Effects. If you've ever heard the band, the stories are so compelling and so interesting. The book is amazing. Fat Mike talks a lot about his musical, which is also awesome, Home Street Home. Check that out as well. As is always the case with this show, I will leave you with a tune. In this case, 
a few tunes. And because No Effects is my favorite band and their songs are so short, I'm actually going to leave you with three tunes. The first is the first No Effects song I ever heard, which I mentioned I watched on Much Music. It's called Sticking in My Eye from White Trash to Heaps in a Bean. The second track is It's My Job to Keep Punk Rock Elite, which we talk about a lot having a very strange chord progression, so check that out. And for the last song, I'm going to leave you with actually a cover I did of one of my favorite No Effects songs and kind of a bit of a deep cut, Total Bummer, which I decided to do acoustic. So check it out. And again, thank you so much for the support. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Peace and love.
Destruction. 